All right, I'm going to shoot you straight this morning. No cute introduction, no review this morning. We've got too much to cover, too much to do, too much to get in. So we're going to start right in with Romans. We're in point three of our outline, the blessings, the results of being right with God. We're going to be reading what Don read to start the service, which is Romans 8, 12 to 17. So if you would stand while we read that, and we'll get running. I promise we've got a lot to cover, but it's really, really good news. <clears throat> so let me pray. Oh, I'm sorry, let me read, then I'll pray. I'm going to read the Bible, then I'm going to pray, so you know what's going on here. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die... But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Let me pray. God, we are standing on holy ground here today. God, what we are about to look at, what we are about to see, I really believe is the heart of Christian living. And I pray that by the power of Your Spirit, God, You would show us the gravity and the joy of what we're about to study. Give us understanding by the power of Your Spirit, and even more than that, God, may we see the power that is available to us through Your Holy Spirit to live this out. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I am just plumb dumb beside myself because of this passage. I'm, I'm beside God's self, too, because of this passage. Um, and again, I hope you heard the echoes of our songs in what we just read. I mean, it's just... It has shaped and formed uh, our music this morning. It shaped and formed the table. And I hope that it shapes and forms our life. And let me just give you a brief preview of what we're going to do today. We're going to cover two main issues in this passage. We're going to cover what it means to kill sin. And then we're going to see the how and the why of killing sin. So we're going to ask who, what, when, where, why, how a few times this morning. And we're going to relate it to what does it mean to kill sin? How do we do it? Why do we do it? What is the power behind the availability to it? And we're going to talk about what it means to be adopted. Look, I mean, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but look at this verse. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Good golly, guys. Oh, man. Let's just jump in. Verse 12 is where we will start. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Our passage starts with, so then. So then should have us asking, so what? Right? This is like a for or a therefore type of statement. And when a statement starts with, so then, we have to ask what it's referring back to. Two weeks ago, not last week because we baptized last week, But two weeks ago, we looked at Romans 8, 9 through 11, and I've got to read that again in light of 
what we're looking at this morning. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. So you see the connection there? If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers... So, to combine that passage with our starting words today, you are not in the flesh if the Spirit of God lives in you. The Spirit is in you and you are in Christ and the power available to you can give life to your mortal body. So then, since this is true, since you have the power of God in you, that's what so what is about in this so then. Okay, And who is he talking to? So then, brothers. Believers, those who share the same Father, namely God. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Since we have the Spirit's power to overcome our flesh, we don't owe it to our flesh to live according to what the flesh wants, what the flesh calls for or desires. Now get a hold of that. And you're going to hear me say that phrase a lot this morning. Get a hold of that. We don't owe it to our flesh when the flesh calls us to sin. How many times have you felt the pull, felt the call, felt the urge, and you're going, I know I shouldn't do this, and then that's normally followed with, but I really want to. Now, according to this passage, when the flesh comes knocking, I don't owe it to you to open the door. I'm not a debtor to you anymore. I just made a rhyme, didn't I? Somebody write that down. Recorded. I don't owe it to you. Yeah, we, it is recorded. Thank you. <laughs> so, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Since we have the Spirit's power to overcome our flesh, we don't owe it to our flesh to live according to what the flesh wants. What the flesh calls out for is not what we live for anymore. We don't owe the flesh anything. And that is a big truth. It's a big concept. Let me tell you how it worked out practically in my life yesterday. Specific scenario is not important, but I was in a situation where the opportunity was presenting itself to sin. And I said this verbally, out loud. I don't owe it to you, flesh, to indulge in this. I have the Spirit of God in me and I have the power to overcome this urge. And I made a U-turn and didn't go that way. That's what it looks like. That's practically. I can speak to the flesh as it calls out, because it's speaking to you, is it not? Amen. Feed me, give me, give me, I want, I need, this is good, you want this. Nope, I don't know it to you to obey your lusts and your desires anymore. You're going to have to get rude with our flesh, guys. And I'm going to tell you how to do that. Paul, the Holy Spirit, is going to tell you how to do that in this passage today. When the flesh calls out for attention, wanting you to sin and please it, you can literally say, no. 
I don't owe you anything. I am not your debtor. Anybody ever had debt collectors call in their house? Ring, 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 and I'm not available. You're going, oh, geez. Should I answer it? Hello? I need to speak with Jason. This is him. Mr. Moore? This is Dan Pasqualoni. I'm calling from Your Buddy's Mind Debt Collectors. And it is apparent by our records that you are 63 months overdue on your Visa card payment, and we're going to come take your children and your dog and your house unless you pay us. Oh, geez. Okay, I'll send you five bucks. And they call back in two weeks. Same thing, same things. What happens when I pay that debt off? And they call back. Hi, Mr. Moore, this is Dan Pasqualoni. Hey, stop right there, Dan. I don't know you nothing. That's the picture we get here with the flesh. He's going to keep coming. He's going to keep knocking. He says he's going to take your wife, your daughter, your kids, your dog, your boat. Nope. That debt is paid. We'll get to that in a minute. We are not under obligation to the flesh. The word debtor means one who owes another, one held by some obligation, bound by some duty. You, now that you are born again, are not under obligation to the flesh. Get a hold of that. Now, let me fast forward through the rest of the text to address a question that might arise from this. The structure of the sentence is weird. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Well, then who are we a debtor to? Spoiler alert. Nobody. We are not a debtor to anybody. You're like, wait a second, wait a second. Aren't we debtors to God? No. Since we are in Christ and the Spirit is in us, by grace, we are no longer debtors to anyone. Not our flesh, not to anyone else. And listen, we are not debtors to God. You're going, what? Grace is unmerited favor. You can't earn it or deserve it. You don't owe God anything for the grace that He's shown you. He's like, well, I feel pretty bad. I mean, He's done a lot for me. I should do something. A debtor's mentality will never help you progress in the Christian's life. Never. Well, I owe God this. No, you don't. If you owe God anything, it was not grace. So we are debtors not to the flesh. We are debtors not to anyone or anything. And you'll see that play out. We'll hit it later in the passage. So when I ask that question again, you can say, Oh, I remember what you said. You don't owe God anything for grace. He gave it to you freely, lavishly, at His cost, at His expense. He paid the price in full, and you will never pay Him back. You can never pay him back. That's pretty important. And we'll see it fleshed out through the rest of the message. So, back to our text. We're going to look at 8.13 now. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now my first question here is, is Paul threatening people? 
Is he saying, if you live according to the flesh, Christian, you will die. Like a parent telling her child, if you play with fire, you'll pee in the bed. Yeah, you laugh. I was scared to death of waking up in a puddle of pee for like 28,000 times because I'm flicking a lighter. You're going to pee in the bed. Jeez, I was just flicking a lighter. How's that affect my bladder? How does this equate into incontinence? I don't get it. I never peed in the bed for playing with lighter, by the way. But that's not what Paul's doing. Paul's not saying if you live by the flesh, you're going to die to Christians. That's not what he's doing. He's simply making a statement contrasting the two groups of people he's been contrasting through this whole passage. As for those in the flesh and those in the spirit. Those in the flesh who live according to or in the power of the flesh, the unbelievers are living a life that leads to death. Remember way back in Romans 6.23, what's the wages of sin? Wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God, there's free gift by the way, That means you're not a debtor. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you sin, you will die. The wages of sin is death. He's not speaking to Christians saying, if you dabble in sin, you're going to die. He's just making a statement. If you live according to the flesh, you're headed to death. Physical death, spiritual death. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But... If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, what will happen? You will live. Now that phrase, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, demands our utmost attention today. This is the process of sanctification in plain terms. This is killing sin. And what John Owen, the old Puritan theologian, said was, Be killing sin or it will be killing you. And what that means in this context is, as a Christian, I am headed for eternal life. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ my Lord. So I'm not going to die spiritually ever, but I can choke the life out of the Holy Spirit living in me. I can quench Him. I can grieve Him. And my spiritual life will suffer if I'm dabbling in sin. I'm not going to die but I'm sure not going to see the abundant life that God has for me in Christ Jesus. So I've got to be killing sin. And that's what this verse is talking about. Note first how you do it. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, capital S, Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So if I was to ask you from this context, this verse right here, how do you kill sin? How do you put to death the deeds of the body? What is the short answer? Three words. By the Spirit. By the Spirit. We saw that we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us a couple of weeks ago. And we saw that by Him we have the very power of God. Now what's that power for? There is a wide range of applications for the power of the Spirit and there is a wide range of abuses of the power of the Spirit that we see in our culture, televangelists and people who are saying, I've got the power of the Spirit, I'm a Spirit-filled Christian, watch what I can do. I've heard some phenomenally arrogant things 
being said and done by people who say they're doing something by the power of the Spirit. And it makes me mad. Here, in this context, what is the power of the Spirit for? To put to death the deeds of the body. Now we've got the very power of God alive in us. The same Spirit that was with God in the beginning, hovering over the face of the waters when God said, let there be the same power that created exists in us. Now listen, and it says here that that power is to be used to put to death the deeds of the body. You want spiritual power? What do you want it for? You want it to strut around like a peacock and tell everybody how spiritual you are? God help us if that's what we want. The Spirit kills sin. If we're going to have any victory, any measure of advancement in mortifying the flesh, putting to death the deeds of the body and its deeds, listen, we have to rely on the Holy Spirit of God in us to do it. That is foundational to everything else we'll talk about today. What I am not dictating to you today is a set of rules of do's and don'ts, cans and can'ts, wills and won'ts, don't run or don't... Don't cuss, don't chew, don't run with those who do. Like that's going to fix your spiritual life. We are not looking for behavior modification. I don't want you to do better. I want you to kill sin. And if you're going to kill sin, it's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit of God to do it in you and through you. By the Spirit. We cannot start this effort in our own power by our own doing, in our own will. If by the Spirit. Get that in your head and heart as we move forward here. Now what does it mean to put to death the deeds of the body? The words translated as you put to death are actually one Greek word, thanatao, which means nothing to you, means nothing to me. Let me tell you what it means. It means by death to be liberated from the bond of anything. Literally, to be made dead in relation to something. So, sin lives in our flesh. We saw that back in Romans chapter 7 and pounded that for a long time on purpose. We're dead to sin. We saw that back in chapter 6. So, which one is true? There is sin living in our flesh and we're dead to sin. Which one's true? Yes. The answer is yes. Both of them are true. So do we have to kill sin in our flesh if we're dead to it? Yes. Yes, we do. Because we do not always... Listen, I don't know about you, but I know about me. We don't always operate in the Spirit, do we? I don't. You're like, well, I do. (laughs) Congratulations. But I don't. I don't always operate in the Spirit. And when I don't operate in the Spirit, what happens is sin deceives me. And I obey its desires, according to Romans 6, Romans 7. I am dead to it, but I'm deceived by it into doing its bidding sometimes. So we have to kill it. 
We have to become dead to it in practice, not just in theory. Like Owen that I mentioned earlier, kill it or it will be killing you. We don't see anywhere in Scripture, listen, please listen to this. We don't see anywhere in Scripture where sin leaves our flesh until we are glorified in the presence of God in eternity future. Then sin will be vanquished. But until then, sin is a very present reality. It is a very present danger. And we have to combat it. We have to be at war with the sin in our flesh. We have to fight it. We have to kill it. How? What's the answer? By the Spirit. That's right. That's good. Stay awake. Stay vigilant because I'm going to be asking you. So what are the deeds of the body? Let me give you a list that the Holy Spirit conveniently gives us in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. And we'll come back to this list at the end of the, end of the message. Now the works of the flesh. Now what are we supposed to do with the works of the flesh? Kill them. They're evident. The works of the flesh are evident. They're easy to see. They're in broad daylight. You don't have to wonder. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now again, he's not threatening Christians here, saying if you go back to that stuff, you're not going to inherit the kingdom. He's saying people who walk this way, people who live in these things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are people who live in the flesh. And you know what? Sin that lives in them lives in us too. So we're called by our passage in Romans today to see these things and to kill them. Don't play with them. Don't hold them like a pet. Well, there is this one that I really, really like, God. If it's okay, I'll just keep this one. We good? No? Crap. Kill these things. So go through that list and realize that you have to kill these things in your life. Now, some might be easy. Sorcery? I don't wrestle with sorcery myself. Not a big deal. Orgies? No, thankfully. No, not a big deal in my life. Not a problem. But there are some other ones in that list that are ingrained, deep-seated, and they're issues that I deal with every stinking day of my life. Every day. But I have to kill them mercilessly. No pity, no regret, no looking back in fondness with them. Kill them! By the Spirit's power in you, kill them. Now this... Let me just ask you a question right now before we go any further. Does this violent talk bother you? Does it bother you that I'm saying, kill stuff! Kill, 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 kill. I feel like I'm watching Beavis and Butthead or something. There's guar. Yeah, that's the way we feel too. Great. I won't, I'll spare you the beavis dance. So. Um, I can do it though, but I won't. Listen. Listen to me. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. Woe to those who see their salvation and say, Ah, oh, yeah, this is good. I can just kick back and coast on into glory. We are at war. 
We have an enemy who hates our guts. And we have sin living in our flesh that wants to deceive us and kill us. You want to coast on into glory like that? There's something wrong with a brand of Christianity that is not violent. And I'm afraid we've lulled ourselves to sleep into that kind of Christianity. Listen, listen, listen. Put to death the deeds of the body. Kill them. That's the only acceptable scriptural principle for the deeds of the flesh. And why would we kill them? Because if we do this by the Spirit, we will live according to the end of 8.13. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And he's not talking about physical life here. He's not talking about you won't fall over dead. He's saying if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That, the word for life here is not bios, which is physical life. It's zoe. Z-O-E. And that means spiritual, real, abundant, superfluous, overflowing, too much for you to handle type of life. The blessed life of the follower and lover of God. Do you want abundant life? I hope you do, Christian. Again, maybe you don't. Maybe you've lulled yourself into, I'll just play with sin the rest of my days. That's not abundant life. If you want abundant life, you're going to have to kill sin. Kill it. So, what we've seen so far is what we should do. We should kill sin. How do we kill sin? By the the Spirit's power in us. That's right. And the Spirit answers the who question too. Who kills sin? We kill sin. He kills sin. Where should it happen? In our lives, in our everyday lives, in our flesh. When should we do it? Now here's an answer to the when question. The verb translated as you put to death is in an active present tense verb. So as long as now is now, you should be killing sin. Who, what, when, where, and how have been answered. But now the real question that we're going to address with the rest of this passage is why. Now we've addressed it some... Why should we kill sin? We saw part of the answer when we said so that we can have real spiritual abundant life. And that's a good reason for why. It really is. But I can want spiritual life and that still not be a good enough why. As I am so apt and prone to do, I think of the example of food here. I can want to eat healthy knowing that I will feel better if I do. My life will be better if I do. But that might not pull me through when there's a dozen Krispy Kremes in front of me. It always comes back to Krispy Kreme, doesn't it? I want to feel better. I want to feel better. I want to feel better. I want to be healthy. I want to be healthy. Krispy Kreme. I want to eat these Krispy Kreme. I want to eat. Yeah, I'm going to eat these Krispy Kreme. And so many times that's what our spiritual life is like. I want to please God. I want to please God. I love God. God loves me. I love God. We are your sons. We are your daughters. Hallelujah. We are who you say we are. I love God. I want to please God. 
sin in front of my eyes. Oh, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be happier later if I don't sin. Yeah, but right now, I really want to sin. That characterizes so much of my life. So the why question, why should we kill sin? Wanting it and thinking that it might be better up ahead may not be a good enough reason why. I can know that if I choose sin, I will miss out on abundant life, and that should be good enough motivation, but honestly for me, sometimes it's just not. I can know that what I'm about to do is sin, know that it will rob me of abundant life, and still choose to do it. Can I get a witness? Wow. I've got a witness. But what if there's a greater why? A more compelling why? I think the rest of our passage gives us that bigger why. Let's look at it. Back in Romans 8. Romans 8, 14. What a verse. For all who were led by the Spirit are sons of God. This short verse is the thesis statement of Romans 8. It's the very center, the very core of what Romans 8 is about. Romans 8 is about life in the Spirit. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. This may be the greatest verse and the greatest chapter in the Bible. I want to read it out loud together. Can you read it out loud with me here? Are you ready? For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We're going to read it again one more time. You ready? For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. In addressing the why question of why should we kill sin, this verse and 15 through 17 with it are atomic in their force. Atomic. So we have a four at the beginning of the verse, tying the thought with the previous thought, which was verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Why will you live if you put to death the deeds of the body by the power of the Spirit? For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Do you see the connection? Let me try to connect the dots. There are two main thoughts in verse 14. Being led by the Spirit of God and being sons of God. If one, then the other. And they're interchangeable. If I'm led by the Spirit, I'm a son of God. And if I am a son of God, I am led by the Spirit. They're mutually inclusive. You can't have one without the other. Love and marriage. Love and marriage. Right? Sorry, I've dated myself to some of y'all. Some of y'all, what are you talking about? And both give good reasoning as to why I should kill sin. The first thought in the verse is for all who are led by the Spirit of God. Now what does that mean? And again, you talk about misconceptions... What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? It can be a really ethereal term in our culture today. 
It'd be easy to think that being led by the Spirit is about life choices and decisions, about what to do, when to do them. Do I make a left when I leave work or do I make a right? Holy Spirit, lead me. Let me tell you something about where I work. I park my car here. I turn around to leave. I go right to go home. If I go left, there's a rock wall. Now let me ask you a question. Be careful here. Do I need the Spirit's leading to make that decision? I do need to be awake. I mean, really, honestly, should I sit there and pray, God, should I go left or right here? Lead me by the power of Your Spirit to make this decision wisely, Lord. I need Your help, oh God. I'm a helpless worm. Left or right, Lord, I need to know. God, please. I'm waiting. I'm tarrying. I haven't eaten since lunch, so I'm kind of fasting. Um, I got nothing here. I got, I'm going to sit here until you answer me, God. Now, I'm not making light of praying. I'm not making light of making life decisions based on the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the leading of God. But some people, myself included, have reached points of my life where I'm kind of in the grocery store aisle going, what color toothbrush should I buy, Lord? I want to make a right decision. That is not what it means to be led by the Spirit. Amen. You will be crippled. You will be immobilized. You will never move forward in your Christian life if that's the kind of leading you're looking for from the Holy Spirit. Hear me say it again. Yes, pray. Yes, ask for God's direction. Yes, ask for God's wisdom. But don't look for some pie-in-the-sky voice come out of the heavens going, Go left, Jason. Have the faith to move that mountain. All right, let's see what happens. You're testing me, aren't you, Lord? <laughs> I'm listening. Yeah, call the insurance company. You just crashed your car. Being led by the Spirit, we've turned it into some ethereal term. We think we need the Spirit's help to decide what's for dinner or what socks to wear with our green shirt. Now, listen. I don't mean to make light of it. I'm telling you, I have lived this way. And it gets really frustrating and you really start to think, do I know God at all because He's not answering me? I'm asking God and He's just not answering me. Don't live that way. Don't put being led by the Spirit in that context. You're not going to hear from the Spirit what color socks to wear with your green shirt. Why? Because being led by the Spirit is being led to kill sin, not color coordinate your wardrobe. But doesn't He care about every detail of my life, you might ask? Yes, He does. Absolutely, He does. And He calls us to obedience and perfection and love and grace. But the Spirit's power, the Spirit's leading is primarily here for killing sin. 
If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live for all who are led by the Spirit. Putting to death the deeds of the body is being led by the Spirit. The everyday decisions will flow from a life of love and obedience to God when we are being led by the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body. So why would I put to death the deeds of the body? Remember the why question? Because I am being led by the Spirit. And when I'm led by the Spirit, that's what I will do. That's what He's doing in and through me. I will because He does. Why will I put to death the deeds of the body? Because that's what the Spirit is in me for. You see that? But that's not all. Wait, there's more. It slices, it dices. Just look at that tomato. Again, I'm dating myself. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Sons of God. Oh my. (laughs) Oh my. Now we've already seen the truths in Romans 8 of no condemnation, of being in Christ, the righteous requirement of the law being fulfilled in us, of not being in flesh but in the Spirit, of having the Spirit in us, and of having resurrection power in our lives through the doing of God in this chapter. We've already seen that. Now did you catch all that? Because those are colossal truths. And now we see here that we are sons of God. Children of God. In all of our blessing, in all of our privilege, get a hold of this one. Why would I put to death the deeds of the body? Why would I kill sin? Because I am a son of God. Who's the only begotten Son of God? Jesus Christ. Only begotten in John 3.16 is the word monogene. It literally reads monogene, M-O-N-O-G-E-N-E. And it means the only one of His kind. Nobody in all of the universe is like Jesus and how He was conceived on earth And no one else in the universe is like Jesus in His origin story with God. What does John 1.1 say? In the beginning was the Word, capital W Word. They're speaking of Jesus here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When? Beginning of what? Of everything. God is the uncaused cause of everything else. And as God was there in the beginning... Jesus Christ, the Son, was there with the Father, there with the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, one in essence, three persons. Jesus Christ was there. So He is the only begotten Son of God. But now we're called sons of God. What does that mean? And why should I kill sin because of that? Let's press on. Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Oh my, this, this verse. Why are we sons of God? How are we sons of God? 
For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And this ties back to the debtor thought that we talked about back in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Remember I said the spoiler was that we are debtors to no one. Here we see that in vivid living color. A debtor's mentality is a fearful, nervous mindset. Dave Ramsey said the borrower is slave to the lender. That's in Proverbs. But we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. I did not receive a debtor's mindset, a debtor's attitude to fall back into fear because I owe God something. To be a child of God is to live debt free. Anybody ever heard of Shirley Caesar? She's a gospel singer. She still is a gospel singer. She had a song called No Charge where a woman had a talk with her child and added up the cost of her love for him. I'm going to read from that song. For the nine months I carried you, holding you inside me. No charge. For the nights I set up and doctored you and prayed for you. No charge. For the time and tears and the cost through the years, there is no charge. When you add it all up, the full cost of my love is no charge. For the nights filled with gray and the worries ahead, for the advice and the knowledge and the cost of your college, there's no charge. For the toys, school and clothes, and for wiping your nose, (laughs) there's no charge, son. When you add it all, the full cost of my love is no charge. Then she talks in the song. And she says, well, you know, when I think about that, I think about the day that Jesus went to Calvary and gave His life as a ransom for me. When I think on the words, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, I like to think about the very minute that He shed His blood. My debt was paid in full. And I want you to know today, she says, when you add it all up, the full cost of real love is no charge. Hmm. Isn't that great? The full cost of love is no charge. You have not received a spirit of fear and guilt and performance and measuring up. So what did we get? Look at the end of the verse. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba. Not a spirit of fear, but the spirit of adoption as sons. If we are sons of God, whose spirit did we receive? We received Christ's very own spirit, the Holy Spirit of the Holy God. And since Jesus is the only begotten, and there is no one and will never be anyone like Him in the universe, God adopts us as His children. We weren't with God in the beginning. And we weren't conceived miraculously when we started our physical life. Oh, it was a miracle, but not like Jesus' conception was. He was conceived by the Spirit of God, overshadowing a virgin and creating in her a holy offspring, fully God and fully human. That's not our birth story. So the only begotten came, and He came to be what? Now look at this verse. It's later in Romans 8. Why did Jesus come? What did He come to be? 
For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. You know what I hate to hear? And this is just a pet peeve of mine. If I was the only one who ever believed, Jesus would have died for me. No. Jesus came to be the firstborn among many brothers. He didn't come to save one person. He came for a bunch. A bushel and a peck. And a hug around the neck. The only begotten came and lived and died and lived again, so many others might become His brethren. And how does that happen? It happens by adoption. I want to read you. I was going to try to condense this and reword it. Let me just read you what John MacArthur had to say about the Roman concept of adoption and how it pertains to what the Spirit is saying here through Paul who lived in a Roman culture and had this mindset when he's talking about adoption. Are you really, are you really ready? Really, really? Ready, really? Start a quote. Now let me just talk for a minute about adoption as such because when you say the word adoption, some people think that's sort of a second class status. You're not a real son, you're an adopted son. You're sort of a Johnny-come-lately or Janie-come-lately. You got added on to the end of the deal because nobody wanted you and sort of second-class idea. But that is not true. It may be that some people in our day think of it that way, but in the first century it was quite the very opposite. He goes on to say, For example, in the Roman culture, if a father looked over his children, particularly his sons, and he didn't see among the born sons that he had brought into the world a son that he deemed to be worthy to inherit his name, his title, his offices, his estates, he would go outside and he would find such a worthy son and he would adopt him into the family based upon his virtue. Stay with me, okay? Based upon his character, based upon his talent. And that adopted son would then take precedence over all his natural sons who didn't qualify at the level of qualification that the father had established. So an adopted son is not in the Roman culture a waif picked up off the street just so he's gotten cared for. No, no. An adopted son in the Roman system is a son who is chosen by the father for the purpose of inheriting the estate and of bearing the name and the title of that father. He's not done. And so, MacArthur says, when it says in the Bible that we have become the adopted sons of God, it is not to say that God scoops us off the street somewhere just so we can get cared for. It is to say that God out of all the world has chosen us to bear His name and His title and inherit His estate. And it's not just that He takes us because we happen to come along through natural processes. It is that He sovereignly chooses us out of all the world. That's a little different, isn't it? And that's the essence of this thought. We are the preferred of God. We are the choice of God by His free involuntary election. And in no sense in the world are we inferior. In no sense. We have been chosen to bear His name. We have been chosen to inherit His kingdom. End of quote. Do you get that? That is the Spirit we have received when we received the Holy Spirit of God. Chosen by God to inherit His estate, His kingdom, and to bear His name. And the rest of the verse shows an intimacy to this, not just an official title. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
We don't only approach God as a distant, cold deity who chose us by no doing of our own. We cry. Literally the word means cry aloud. Abba! Father! The word Abba is an Aramaic word that is an affectionate term used only by children to their daddy. It's an informal term that shows love and enjoyment of one's father. All of our kids, all four of them, have gone through a time when they would run to the door when I come home from work and yell, Daddy! Daddy's here! Asa's in that stage right now. And let me tell you what, I love it. It's like you walk through the door and here comes this little diapered baby. Daddy! Daddy! Ooh, you talk about feeling like a million bucks. And he jumps up and he hugs me and I'm like, wow. We've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Daddy. Daddy. That's my daddy. I love it when daddy's home. That's enjoyment. And that thrill from me being the recipient of that joyful affection is wonderful. And that's how we get to relate to God. Note that it says we cry. Abba! Like Asa running to the door and yelling it in joy. That's the relationship we have with our Father because of this spirit of adoption. Not fear, not duty, but joy and thrill and peace and grace. That's what the Spirit brings with Him when He moves in at our adoption, at our new birth. Adopted to enjoy our Father in His kingdom. Now, let me finish quickly. I know that I'm keeping you long today. Verses 16 and 17, we'll read together and finish up. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. So we're adopted and we get to enjoy our Abba. That's all well and good, but how is that a why to kill sin? Well, when the spirit of adoption moved in, we were adopted into God's family, making us sons of God. And now, according to these two verses, the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So we've pretty much covered that, but keep going. And if children, then what? Heirs. Heirs of what? Or better yet, heirs of who? Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Don't miss that. Stop. Breathe. Take that in. Remember in our discussion on adoption, we said that we were adopted to take the Father's name and inherit His kingdom. Now let me say that again. Inherit His kingdom. Our Father is the King of the universe. Not just the earth. Not just our eight and a half planet solar system. I'll say nine. I'm I'm a big fan of Pluto myself. Still a planet. Not just our solar system. The universe. And we inherit His kingdom. You want a reason to kill the deeds of the flesh? You want a reason to kill sin in your life? Here's the best one. God has given you so much more than the passing, fleeting pleasures of sin ever could. You cannot enjoy all that God has given you if you're dabbling in the deadness of sin. 
God's kingdom, His blessings, His name, His nearness, His power, His love, His grace are exponentially greater than any pleasure sin holds out to you on its nasty little stick. We get to inherit the kingdom of God. And as adopted sons of the King, it is as sure as the sunrise and the sunset. It will happen. And since it will happen, it brings conflict now, which is what Paul is reverencing when he says, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. We will be glorified with Him, and until we are, we have conflict and warfare and battle and the death of sin and suffering. Suffering with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. I kill sin so that I can enjoy the kingdom of God now while looking forward to my full inheritance. I kill sin because the Spirit of God lives in me and that's what He does. I kill sin because it is increasingly becoming less attractive to me compared to the beauty and glory of my Abba and His kingdom. I kill sin because God hates it and I love what He loves and I hate what He hates. I kill sin because I want to. Now, quickly, application. I think the most practical thing we can do as a result of the truths contained in this passage is look at what it means to kill sin and how to literally do it. How does one kill sin? Remember? By the Spirit. Thank you very much. That is the short answer and that is the right answer. As we start our look at it, it is foundational to remember that this is by the Spirit. Practical steps come after we know that our power is from God's presence inside of us. And by the power He supplies, what we do in order to put to death the deeds of the body, we do in order to kill sin by His power. And that's what we want to look at here. Anybody familiar with the Babylon Bee? It's a satire site that puts out articles making fun of Christians and Christian culture. If you're not subscribed to the Babylon Bee on Facebook, go ahead and do it now. It's fine. I'll I'll wait for you. Subscribe to Babylon Bee. They had one out, I think it was a week and a half ago. This is a satirical article. Okay, Here's their take on how Christians generally go about killing sin. Their plan. Their modus operandi. The headline said, Report. Average Christian strategy to fight sin comprised of binge-watching Netflix shows. Here's the article. According to a study by the Pew Research Center released Wednesday, the average American Christian's plan to intentionally kill and mortify the desires of the sinful nature is made up primarily of binge-watching all varieties of television shows on Netflix. While many Christians' carefully thought-out strategies to fight sin also included tactics like just hanging out with buddies, hoping sinful desires will eventually stop, and briefly feeling guilty for sin before diving right back into the same patterns of behavior, the survey found that zoning out over several seasons of hit shows on Netflix or other online services weekly was by far the most popular staple in believers' sin mortification diet. Saints differed sharply on which shows to consume in unhealthy quantities in an attempt to intentionally slay the desires of the flesh that war against our souls. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Battlestar Galactica, The X-Files, and Orange is the New Black were all common components of killing the old man. Though running through all Gilmore Girls episodes twice a month was also popular. But no matter what the particular tactic, nearly all Christians were united on the common ground of vegging out to hours of mind-numbing entertainment in order to put to death their worldly impulses. 
A future study will concentrate on Christians' Bible reading plans, which experts theorize are primarily made up of scrolling through Facebook and hoping a Bible verse pops up every once in a while. It's kind of funny, but it's kind of accurate too. If I were to ask most people, most Christians, what their plan is to kill sin, it'd probably be very familiar or very like their plan to make disciples to impact the ends of the earth until the end of time. It'd probably be made up of cricket sounds. Don't really have a plan for that. Never really thought about it. And I say that because I'm guilty myself. As I've studied this, I thought, what's my plan to kill sin? I don't have Netflix. But Amazon. <laughs> I haven't had a plan. Why not? Kill sin or it will be killing you. So if binge-watching junk doesn't work, what does work? I think we just need to look and see what the Spirit does where He is to see how to kill sin. If we're being led by the Spirit to kill sin, look where the Spirit is and see what He normally does. And what is that? I'm going to read this quickly. This is John 16, 7-15. This is what Jesus said the Spirit would do when He came. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. So if we look at this passage, when the Spirit comes, He will convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. He will guide into truth. He will glorify Jesus and take what is of Jesus and declare it. Now how in the world do you think the Spirit will do that? I don't think Netflix will do it. But I think this book here is pretty important. This is a Bible. By the way, for those of you that don't own paper Bibles anymore, real Bibles, this has the words of God in it. On paper, black and white. So when the Spirit comes, He's going to lead me to kill sin. How's He going to do that? Let me give you a real practical hint in how to kill sin. Read the Bible! You want to kill sin? Get in the Bible! A lot! Often, read it, think about it, meditate on it, pray it, say it, listen to it, study it. Make the Bible important. No, make the Bible invaluable in your life. Without value, you can't put a value on it. Because how is the Bible brought to life in our lives? By the Spirit's power. It almost sounds too simple, but it's not. By the power of the Spirit, immerse yourself in the Bible. Well, the Bible is kind of dry and boring. I don't understand it. By the Spirit, 
Read the Bible. And so then when you're reading the Bible, stay in an application. Almost done. Stay with me. See what the Bible says and then incorporate those things into discerning what is sin, what is righteousness, what will God judge, what is truth. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Are you looking for truth? Look to the Bible. We've already kind of covered that. So take what you see in the Bible and start doing something with it. If the Bible says, so flee youthful passions, like it does in 2 Timothy 22, what should you do by the power of the Spirit? (laughs) Flee youthful passions. What are youthful passions? You know what they are. You feel them rising up. And when those things start rising up, by the power of the Spirit, bringing that to your remembrance, you run! You don't... Inch on in and, oh, ah, I want to click it. I'm not, I'm going to, I'm not, I'm going to run for your life. Throw the stupid computer out the window if you have to. The TV. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. If your right eye offends you, pluck it out. Kill sin or it will be killing you. Flee youthful passions. That means run. Don't toy with it. Don't play with it. Listen to what the truth says and run. Remember the deeds of the flesh. We'll go back through these and we'll be done. Now the works of the flesh are evident. You want to know what to kill? The Bible tells us. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. It's kind of a junk drawer type of thing here. It's not just those things. It's things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. When you see these things popping up in your life, kill them. Viciously, violently, kill them. This is not a mystery. This is not hard. And you know what the things are in your life that are calling for your attention right now. You're like, but surely He doesn't mean... Yes, I mean that. Yes, He means that. Kill it. We live in a culture that is sin-saturated and we have passed over it and we've forgotten about it and we said, oh, it doesn't really matter. It's not affecting me. Yes, it is. It's killing you. It's choking the spiritual life out of you. It's grieving the Holy Spirit of God who has been given to you as the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Whereby we cry, I'll talk to you later. I'm busy right now. God, help us. Kill these things. Get rid of them. I lied to you. I got one more passage. Kill lying. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to read this passage and I want you to tell me... Well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. What are we supposed to kill in this passage? That's definitely the wrong passage. It should be Ephesians 5, 3 through 5. So if you've got a Bible... 
Turn to Ephesians 5. Oh, great day. This is an NIV. The nearly inspired version. <laughs> There's a real Bible, thanks. Sorry for you NIV fans. Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 5. That's recorded too, isn't it? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go eat popcorn, right? Gentiles eat pork chops. That's good too. <laughs> Ephesians 5, 3 through 5 says this. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So out of that passage, what are we supposed to kill? Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, and it says they shouldn't even be named among you. But that's not all. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. Kill it! Which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. That's what I love about the Bible. It doesn't just say, don't do this. It says, do this instead. Don't talk silly and talking dirty and making dirty jokes. It's not fitting for saints. It's not fitting for those who are called to be sons of the Most High God. Kill it and give thanks with your mouth by the power of the Spirit. And the Bible is full of these types of things. Full of them. They tell you what to kill. How do you kill sin? By the Spirit, the Spirit of adoption who has moved into you. So, what happens is the Holy Spirit of God Himself will get behind this and He will empower you to make it a reality in your life. From cover to cover, the Bible is full of instructions like these. The last half of Paul's epistles, a lot of them are these types of things, practical things you should and shouldn't be doing. So you're like, oh, so this is about do's and don'ts. Nope, it's not. It's about a relationship with your Father who leads you by the power of His Spirit to do these things. You're not doing it to earn His favor. So if the Bible is full of these things, dig into the Bible. Savor it. Meditate on it. And by the power of His Spirit, kill sin. By the power of His Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. By the power of His Spirit, because you are His, He adopted you, chose you to bear His name and inherit His kingdom. Once we were the slaves and prisoners, now we're children of the King, the favored sons and daughters saved by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah, we are who You say we are. Now, Father, let's pray. Our good, good Father, Help us to live the truth that we are who you say we are. Help us to put to death the deeds of the body. May we be led by your Holy Spirit within us to put to death the deeds of the body by the power of your Spirit whom you have caused to dwell in us and not just to dwell in us, but to make us intimate with you. 
the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Daddy, help me kill sin. For our good, God, and for your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.